Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, Ron from the last episode, that's Ron Stefanski from The One Hour Professor, answer your questions. And these, uh, by your questions, I mean audience questions generally from YouTube, but I included some other questions where people sent in emails and stuff like that. So, Ron and I just kind of have a casual conversation talking about the questions. We do a little back and forth. Now, if you missed the previous episode, that's episode 39 of The Doug Show, you should check it out. It'll provide a little more context about Ron and why I'm talking to him. For example, he's on target to make just under 200000 this year in 2019 from his websites. He doesn't generally have uh, affiliate sites like I do. He has more ad-based sites. So these are just informational topics, not necessarily buyers, keywords, or anything like that. So I encourage you to check out the previous episode before you listen to this one if you happen to be new. If you are new, that kicks ass. Welcome to the show. Um, I encourage you to you know check out the other episodes. There's a bunch of other success stories you know, all over the place, uh, like throughout many of the episodes. So check them out. And you know what? I'm not going to ramble on too much more now. Let's go ahead and get to the episode and hear from Ron and myself. All right. What's going on? I'm back with Ron and we are doing the Q&A. How's it going today, Ron? It's going good. I can't complain, Doug. I cannot complain. So we are looking at questions that people asked on YouTube. So thanks everyone for putting in the questions. I'm going to try and give everyone a shout out. And this is Ron's second episode. And if you missed the first one, go back. We talk about Ron's history, how he's doing really well business-wise now and how it was a struggle. And I won't try to summarize it because I think we did a good job earlier in the other episode. So. First question from Victoria Turner, and this is um, around a recent Google update. So at the time we were recording this, um, there was a a recent Google update in, I would say, mid-March of 2019. And depending on when you're listening to it, there could have been another update because these updates come all the time. Um, Victoria says, how um, would you recover from the new Google update? My traffic dropped by 50% and it's not improving. Do you have any tips for coping with Google algorithm updates? Um, so you want me to answer that first here or are you going to chime in? Oh, you go ahead. You go first because okay. you, you have some relevant stuff. I mean, can you share yeah. what was going on with you? Yeah. So uh, actually in the last episode, I had talked about how I created a website around um, – let's call it databases. And I kind of created it. And I think that uh, Google actually kind of categorized me as a directory in a way, my whole website, which was a huge problem. So what I had done, um, and honestly, the verdict is still out. Uh, I can't say that I've seen like a huge improvement with my my changes yet, but I have seen some positive movement. Um, with my issue, it was that I had directory type pages. Uh, so what I had done is I had actually uh, no followed, no indexed all those pages. I added 
tags to basically tell search engines, hey, don't follow this page. Don't look at this from an SEO perspective, right? It's a piece of content, but don't really look at it from that perspective. Don't, you know, I don't even want it to be indexed. I did that uh, in an effort. And the reason why I did it was to show Google, hey, this isn't actually my core focus. This directory stuff isn't my core focus. My core focus is the other content that I have. Um, and by doing that in that case, uh, I've started to see my other content that I wanted to rank start to lift in rankings. Not huge, significant gains, but there's definitely been positive momentum going that way. Um, but in terms of like Google updates are, are um, they're brutal. <laughs> they really like, I don't even know what else to say about there. If you're caught up in a Google update, it's really, really hard nowadays because it's all conjecture. It's all people saying, I think that I think that, and it's nobody necessarily hundred percent knows, but my biggest thing, um, with this, with this, this update, I was hit with the exact same one Victoria that you're talking about on this website that I'm referring to. I was hit with that update. Um, and I, at that time focused it, when I hit that update, it was kind of like it let all the steam out of my balloon. Like everything was gone because I was like, man, this just, you know, because it wasn't even ranking for the right stuff anyway. And then that happened. So I pulled all those down. But if you're in a situation where you're hit by a Google update, my biggest piece of advice is read all day and try to find all the different sources and all of their advice um, and try to see any and everything that you can pick out from all those different sources that are talking about it. I think this update, if you're wondering, I think it was called Florida 2. I think what was the name of this update, I believe. I have no idea where that name came from, but I believe that this is called the Florida 2 update. Um, and just look around and see what people are saying because – Usually when an update happens, the first thing I'll say is you don't like I reacted really, really quick in my situation because of the external issue of not even ranking for what I wanted. But usually when a Google update happens, stop. Don't panic. Don't freak out. Don't do everything because there was the um, Doug, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the eat update, the one with the authoritative. A lot of websites got hit super hard by it. And now a lot of them are climbing right back up the rankings. So like understand that Google isn't perfect and they adjust things. I would say first thing is stop. Don't panic. You know, give it at least like I'd say probably a month to see where, you know, if it bounces back or, or organically by itself. But otherwise, I just look at all the other people out there, see what they're saying, see what they're saying might be the cause of it um, and try to, you know, whatever their advice is. It just depends on what the, the update is, whatever their advice is start to implement some of those things across your website. Look at what you're doing and really think about it. And then usually if you think about what you've done, in my opinion, you'll know there's probably something that you've done. If you really think about it hard enough that maybe you shouldn't have done, you know, like that one thing that you were like, well, I should, you know, I'm going to do this. This is the easy way. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, maybe I shouldn't have hired that writer for super cheap. You know, like maybe my content isn't that great, or maybe I shouldn't have done that link building tactic because it was a little, you know, think about that and then go to that. So right. that's my advice for it anyway. Cool. So I was going to say certain portions of what you said, I was like, I 100% disagree. And then other portions, you, you got close to what I think. Now, I think you should be calm. You shouldn't be reactionary. You should wait to see what's going to happen. You talked about going out and reading everything that you could. I think there's a lot of charlatans out there. A lot of people don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Yep. I don't it know. It is what I'm all conjecture. About. No, yeah. I'll agree. It is all conjecture. Yes. Because I, I guarantee, right? You could find examples that contradict each other with real data out there. 
and if you analyze it, then you have uh, some biases, confirmation bias, and probably some others that will lead you to the conclusion um, where either you're going to read something, you're going to agree with it, and you're going to implement it, or the opposite. So like yep. you just end up kind of misguided and you're like, well, I just don't know. And then you end up confused. And I think some of the questions are, are relevant to that. So, um, wait to see what's going on. I think if you, you know, get information, right. Make sure that your sources are good, but I could point out the, that medic update, the EAT update in the, I would say August, September of 2018 period. I got questions on that for about six to eight months before I said anything about it. Um, and then I did a little more, you know, research at that time, there was a little more data and then I wrote what I thought was more informed, but basically I don't cover any current events because, you know, I don't want to be part of the charlatan group basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing I'll say to that, when I say review, review the sources, what I mean is wait, wait a little, like if someone comes out the next day and says, here's how you can recover, they are lying. (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sorry. Like they're just like, it could be one website recovery with certain things. So like what I meant is like, wait a little bit of time to be clear. Yeah. You always have to wait at least a month at least. And it could be longer for sure, but always wait a little bit of time and then look. And you actually mentioned a really good point. Whenever you're, whenever you're talking or, or reading anything, look for data. Don't look for opinions. Do not look for opinion. Look for someone who says, we tested X, Y, Z. We tested this. We saw a 20% drop increase in the look for hard numbers and data and maybe even screenshots because if you go the wrong way, um, it can hurt you. But like my thing was uh, with, with the medic update, at that point, a lot of people talked about like, oh my God, like you have to have like a profile and you have to have authority and you have to be an individual that has credentials. I did that. I took that to heart and I didn't get hit by that update. Mm -hmm. But what I did then is then I thought, okay, maybe there's some truth to this. Let me go back to my websites and make sure I'm putting down credentials. I'm making it clear that this person is an expert. Let me hire a writer that is very well, or I'm sorry, an editor that is very well credentialed. So I can have my writers be kind of cheap, but my editor is really well credentialed. And that individual, if it goes through them, Google had that trust. Did it help my websites? Did it help or did it help or, or hurt them? No, it didn't do anything. But I would rather learn something from that update, understand something Google might be looking at and make the improvement anyway, because if they ever come to me later in the future, I'm in good shape. So, yep, exactly. And actually, I, I did that as well, where it was like, okay, I wasn't thank knock on wood, like, thank goodness I've had like no major issues with any algorithm updates in years. And basically after the EAT stuff came out, I was like, how can I, you know, add some more authority to it? Yeah. Give a little more oomph. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, part of that is like having links, right. Going back to the link building thing, the, the people that I know that have sites that got hit usually didn't have a strong link profile or any links at all. Right. Yep. Maybe they were making, you know, good money, a few thousand bucks a month, but they had no links. They weren't reinvesting to get links and the, it left them vulnerable, I think. Yep. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. Next question from Jeff LaCroix, I'm going to say. Do you, do you speak, is that French? Do you know how that to looks say like, that? That looks like LaCroix to me for LaCroix. sure. I, I can't right. see it being LaCroix. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I didn't take French or yeah. anyway. So, Jeff's question is uh, about competition in links. 
Most of my competition has very basic old short content, but massive amount of links, like 30,000 links going to one page. I did try and clarify to ask if that was 30,000 links from different domains or 30,000 just straight up links. I don't know the answer. Um, I built a foundation of quote, good content. Uh, should I continue building more content or should I build links knowing it will take years to get that many? Run. Um, if there's pages with 30 K links, those are some really strong pages on the internet. Let me just say like, if they're actually from all unique domains, so that might, I think that there might've been a little bit of a mix up there. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe that is what they have. But in my personal, I mean, if you, if you have a, I mean, it depends on how you define a, a, a foundation of good content. How much? I feel like that's so subjective. Like to him, a foundation might be five good articles. It could be fifty. I don't know the answer to that question. But um, I would personally say, um, you say most of your competition has very basic old. Old is a key word there to me. Short content, so old and short, um, but massive amounts of links. I think what you need. I would say at this point, if you if you've really built a good foundation, I wouldn't know fully unless I actually talked to you and found out what that was and how you defined it. But if you really have that and you think that you've built better content and you're not seeing any movement in the, in the SERPs and you're like on page two, three, four, I would absolutely at that point, me personally, I would recommend that you build some links. Um, the key to there is you don't need to follow what they did. You're saying if they do have in fact, 30,000 links, it's not always about the quantity. Um, the quality is really important. So if you build, five to six really, really good links, like a domain rating of, I'd say probably like over 40. If you build five or six of those to your website, um, and then maybe have like a few other no follow links just through blog comments, like just to kind of diversify your link profile, you don't want to do too much of it. But like, if you have some of that and you have some of it, you're just going to start signaling to Google that, Hey, I'm, I'm authoritative too. And I'm good too. And then if you can actually get yourself to the first page of Google, whether any of the positions, um, adjusting your title tag, to try to increase the click-through rate, um, to make it like it's better than your competitors. Hopefully that's relevant here. Um, and you can increase your, your click-through rate and you can get people there more often. I feel like that can drag you up and you, you can then compete at that level. Um, mm -hmm. that's, that's my take on it anyway. So I think, you know, I generally agree with what you're saying, Ron. Um, with the details missing from this uh, question from Jeff, which Jeff, feel free to add in, pepper in more details. I think Ron likes uh, acting like he knows what he's talking about here. Just messing with you, Ron, there. But um, <laughs> I like guessing. Yeah. yeah. So I would say, um, and I, I don't know about Jeff's experience, I would say you should pause on that site potentially and find something a little less competitive. Um, if you are just getting started, I don't recommend that you try to go and compete with what seems to be a very competitive, um, yep. like website. And I think you can grow into it. Um, chances are you could probably find like some keywords or a pocket in that general niche that you'd be able to, you know, make your, your space in a, a good, let me just give a quick example. So Ron and I both have internet marketing sites, right? Internet marketing is filled with internet marketers and it's very competitive. Yet Ron and I were able to carve out, um, our spaces in the blog uh, area, the blogosphere in like 2014 when it was really saturated. I mean, it's still yep. saturated. Everything's saturated. Everything's competitive. But Ron and I focused on like narrow little pockets of internet marketing 
thus being able to build an audience. We showed up every day and all that stuff. So I'm not saying you can't do it, Jeff, but there's probably an easier way and there's probably a better way than like, all right, I'm going to go up against Goliath here because yeah. it's just not the best. It's not the best way to do it. To, to piggyback off of that, Doug, I still avoid Goliath as much as I can. Me too. Um, I, yeah. I just, like, why go against why? Like, yes, there there can be some bigger um, gains there if you can beat them. But especially if you're new, you bring up a good point, especially if you're new, that is like an insurmountable challenge. Like that is going to be really difficult. So I think with this, I, I just think we need more backup, like background data. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that, that whole question, like maybe, maybe not, you know, it just depends on the situation. I, I agree with you fully. Cool. Uh, Josh asks, Josh Brown says, um, and we kind of covered it earlier about yeah. going from 5,000 <laughs> to 34,000, um, just in one year. Uh, it was basically through hard work and dedication, right? Yeah. And, and well, and revenue stacking, finding new sources of revenue, finding like looking at my niche and saying, what else is it that I can do to make more money? And then I did after that. And if you're wondering how I keep growing, i now that that's pretty solid and I've done that revenue stacking pretty well, I'm diversifying. I'm creating other entities and trying to plug that in. And, you know, they may make 500 bucks a month, but I'm more excited about that 500 bucks than I am about the, you know, 15,000 for my other website. Cause I know it's momentum and it's a website that's growing. So like, right. that's a big thing. Can you give like a quick example of the revenue stacking? So the, the main basis is AdSense, right? Yeah. Yeah. For my, for my websites, because of the type of website that I have, my main, my main revenue driver starting primarily is going to be AdSense. Okay. So I start with AdSense and then I start to think about kind of what I'm sure many people do with the Amazon type of websites. Um, how can I throw in some affiliate stuff? Right. And in any niche, like there's always going to be some type of affiliate thing. Like it might just be an ebook training them on something, you know, like something like that. Um, and then I start to write, and then I, and then I write a post for that. And then I see, oh, okay, I wrote a post for that and I got a few conversions there's a little bit of something else here that I might be able to do, you know? And then like, I look for um, like services that will also serve the niche um, in my particular uh, situation. Um, I'm in, like I said, I'm in the employment niche. So when it comes to the employment niche, you know, you can think about resume writing services, you know, is like a big thing, like things like that to where you think about um, doing it. And then I create the content. And then if it works, I'm like, Oh, okay. And then I create 30 or 40 more pieces of content similar that focus a little bit on a different keyword in that area. And now I'm getting all that revenue from that source too. So like affiliate and then, you know, other revenue stacking that I've done. Um, I have done physical products a little bit, very little bit that worked pretty well, but that's like a whole different beast. Um, you know, and then you can get into like digital products. I've done that before quite a bit. I think that's, I mean, Doug, you do that yourself. I think that's a great business model. Uh, you have to update the courses and stuff once in a while, but you have full control and you have a full audience there. So yeah, just revenue stacking, just finding out ways to make more money with what you have instead of starting something new. That's how you really grow. Once you start getting something, it's going good. If it's where it is, don't look at it and say, oh, okay, it's done. Now I should move on to a new website. Look at it and say, how else can I get more out of this? You know, that that's really big. Nice. And next two questions, we kind of covered a little bit, um, but I I want to give people their uh, shout outs. We got Lachey Lewis, uh, Frederico De Lorenzo. Awesome name there. Yeah, that is. Awesome name. Um, And it's generally around like motivation. Um, You're really slow at the beginning, the first couple of years, you're losing money. Why do you believe, why did you believe in this site? Why do you believe that you can do this? So- with my, I'll go back to my first website and my, my first, um, 
yeah, my first website. It was a situation to where, cause I had tried so many things and failed or I failed once and then stopped. And I was like, Oh, that's not going to work, which is honestly kind of dumb. Um, I, I mean, there is a point to where you do need to stop if you've tried multiple things and nothing is working. But, um, I think when you start something, uh, understanding, especially with a website, it's going to be super slow in the first six months. It's just going to be, you are not going to win in the first six months. And if you can't go through that in the first six months, don't even start. Like you need to understand that in the beginning, but when it seems slow and you're working through it for me, that first website was, I genuinely built it just to help people. So when I would get down or like it was slow or I was kind of down and out, like demotivated by it, I would always think there's there's one individual sitting there at home that is really looking for this and really wants this information. I need to do it for them. And like, not to be like sappy, but that's, that's like how I really got with that website. Now, any day I was like, not feeling like it, it was like, someone really needs this, like stop being lazy. And I really use that. And that motivated me really well. Um, but just knowing that, you know, after a certain amount of time, you're going to start seeing that momentum. And when you see that momentum, that's the time to light that fire, you know, and like really, really go. But just mm-hmm. knowing that it's going to be slow, understanding that. So, mm-hmm. And you know what? I um, actually recorded an, a podcast episode um, in preparation to talking with you. And I was like, I, I actually had the epiphany that like I get up. Oh, sorry. Oh boy, he's getting angry, folks. <laughs> the uh, I have to talk with my other hand here. Yeah, no, I do the same. I'm like <laughs> trying to avoid it. So basically, like I am fairly well self motivated, um, just in general. But I mean, I had a full time job. I was doing the stuff that you were talking about um, as well, waking up early, putting the time in, working weekends. I was obsessed, and I find that I got obsessed, and I was more interested in the systems. And doing the work, so obsession, doing systems, tracking those uh, what we call leading indicators, not the lagging indicators, which the lagging indicators are important, right? That's revenue and traffic, you know, but the leading indicators are like um, maybe the quality of the keywords, the amount of content you're pushing out. So my question to you, Ron, because I speculated that perhaps you get obsessed with things and you, you are a bulldog and you will, you're stubborn. I know that you're still oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. you're like, I'm going to figure this out. If somebody tells you, Hey, I don't think that's very easy. Maybe it's a bad idea. You're like, how can I prove them wrong? It's, so it's never easy. Yeah. 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 So what, what's your deal? What's your deal? A hundred percent agree. I would, I would categorize myself as hyper competitive. Um, I grew up with two older brothers. Everything I do is I just love competition. I genuinely, I don't shy away from it. I run towards it. Um, that's just how I'm built. Um, but I think that you brought up a really good point in saying that you became obsessed Like, have you ever sat in bed for an hour after you're supposed to go to bed and your head is just racing and you cannot turn it off? Like, have you had that before? Okay. Like uh, all the time, like three times a week. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So like it, I will say now that I'm more experienced and where I am, I'm more calm about it. And I'm like, Oh, I'll just write up my to-do list and I will get to it tomorrow. And I know I can sleep. But like in the beginning, Oh my God. I listened to, I I was listening to podcasts constantly. And I mean that Mm -hmm, constantly mm -hmm. every second I could, I was just getting everything and I knew it was time to stop listening to them and take action when I would literally, they'd like, I'd listen to a podcast, whoever it would be. I listened to a bunch of different ones and they'd be talking about it. And like, I'm obsessed where I always listen to internet marketing stuff and all that. I would know the answer before the host would say it. They would like, I would think in my head, he's going to say blah, blah, blah. And they'd say it. And then like, I'd and I got like three or four episodes deep and I was like, I have to just take action. So yeah, I'm super competitive, super motivated. Um, 
just in general, I've always kind of been that way and I built the way I didn't, I didn't know that you got the obsessive thing that actually makes me feel better because there was times when my, my wife was like, chill, dude, like, you, you know, like you need to relax. Like, that's a great idea, but get some sleep, relax. I can't sleep. Like I yeah. just will sit there and work, but it happens less now. Um, not right. because I don't get as excited, but because I've been in it long enough that I understand this idea that I have right this second. I should sit on it for a week. I should really think about it. I should take a step back, you know? So yeah, but I am absolutely a bulldog when it comes to that. Um, I look at SERPs and I don't see other websites. I see like, these are my competitors. I must crush them. You know, like that's just how I am. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I've been crushed before too, but just that competitive drive is a big part for sure. Very cool. All right. Jumping into some tactical things. Um, how do you optimize the websites to maximize quote ad revenue? That's an interesting one. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, There is, and I hate to say it, but there is a lot of testing there. Uh, There isn't, I don't think that there's a um, uh, necessarily like one thing that I can say that would be like, oh, that's the secret. You know, that that's the secret thing that I didn't know. Uh, What I will say is like, you need to test. And then uh, I always do just the responsive ads. Uh, so Google AdSense, for those who aren't really all that familiar with it, you just pay, put basically a piece of uh, – you copy like a piece of HTML code. You put it into your website. You paste it in there. Uh, you press submit, and then Google will serve the ads for you, right? That's the beauty of it. When you put in a responsive ad code, what it does is it will understand whether that's a uh, desktop or a mobile device, and it will actually optimize the ad for that size, uh, for that size screen. So that's actually really big in the beginning. I did that. Um, and then what I also did is after I did that, I would look cause they have reporting in there. I would look at what certain ad sizes paid out the most. Um, so like this one ad size, you know, called 728 by 90, um, this particular ad size only pays 15 cents per click, but then you have another ad size of 300 by 250 that pays a dollar per click, right? I would look at that at over time. You have to have a decent sample of time, uh, data and everything and page views to, to come to this conclusion, like, to, you know, thousands, like 10,000 maybe impressions. But when you get to something like that, then you can say, okay, let's pull down the mobile responsive one and let's put up the one that is making a dollar per click versus 10 cents. Um, and that's, I think that was a, a big thing that I did. Um, and then also I, uh, ads, um, I use AdSense, but then I also use media.net. Um, in certain places. And I always test them against each other. Mm-hmm. I found in some niches, AdSense pays more. Um, in some niches, um, media.net pays more. And then the other thing is they have a thing called link units. So this is, this is tough. This is tough. It, it's counterintuitive. So what this is, is basically you, you'll put the ad onto your website and there will be buttons that will say something relevant to the page. Um, let's use security guard training HQ as an example again. So with that, you know, you put it up there and it would say security card training centers, security guard job, security, you know, all these different things. The thing about that is that with the link ad units, the person has to click once into that link ad unit. You're not getting paid yet. They click once. It brings them to a page which has search results. On that second click is actually when you get paid. But what I found is sometimes that actually will pay more than a simple click on a, you know, on a, you know, a regular sized ad. So you, you really do have to test and you have to give enough a sample size of data to understand it. Um, truth be told, I don't know that I'm perfect, right? I don't know that I've done it absolutely best, but what I will say is, um, I'm sure people might be familiar with like ad thrive or whatever, which is a network that will essentially do this for you. And they'll do some of the testing and try to maximize your revenue. Um, I actually reached out to them and applied. They came back to me and said, Hey, you know what? 
it doesn't really make sense. We're not going to be able to get you enough gain to, to justify this, which was pretty refreshing to me because it's like, okay, I must be doing a pretty decent job. You know, yeah. like I don't think I'm perfect, but I must be doing decent. So it really comes down to testing. There is no silver bullet. If you're just starting with AdSense um, and you're wondering like, you know, throw an ad up. Um, one of the things that I'll do in the beginning of a website, I'll look at, and it depends on what your monetization strategies are. But if you have informational content, usually AdSense is great for informational content because there's not too many calls to action except maybe like a hyperlink or two to like a review post. Um, but with that, like AdSense, I will look at like the, the top 10 pages, the pair two principle. I'll look at the top 10 pages, find the ones that are getting um, significant amount of, of traffic. And then I'll say, OK, maybe I should just throw an ad onto one or two of these. Right. Um, and then there's like I won't get into this, but there's a plugin called Ad Inserter which is free and it is amazing what it can do. Um, but you can actually make it so that, you know, you, you test and maybe see, okay, does AdSense make sense for this website? If, you, if it does, you can basically use ad inserter and say, okay, after um, the first paragraph of every single blog post, throw in one ad from Google AdSense, but the article has to have a minimum of 750 words. Like there's a bunch of different things that you can do there. Um, but that will actually roll it out you know, site wide, super quick. Don't do what I do in the beginning, which is ha hiring a VA to copy and paste AdSense code into every single page. Yes, I did that. Don't do that. Use ad inserter instead. If, sure. if you get to that point. So nice. Very good. And one thing I'll add, I, I don't have experience with ad revenue maximization or optimizing, but a lot of times I hear a similar question and the answer is you don't have enough traffic yet. Like don't try yeah. to optimize Huge part if of that you problem. have a, if you're not ready yet, like optimizing on a hundred visitors per day doesn't make sense. You need more traffic. Yep. You need to get way more traffic before you should even care. Because let's say you could increase your revenue by, uh, you know, 300% or something like that. I mean, it, then you're going from like 10 bucks a day to like 30 bucks a day. Like, yeah. Who cares? Okay. Yeah. And that was from Eric's life. Thank you for that. And I see we need to keep moving here. So uh, John Buckley asks, uh, oh, he's one of your students from Udemy. And John oh, says, are all the income reports related to affiliate marketing? And what stage did you give up your full-time job? Yeah, my income reports. Um, I mean, I really only, I don't actually know when I created my one website that's mostly focused on affiliate. I stayed away from affiliate. I focused yeah. on authority and informational for a very long time. Um, most of my content or most of my income reports, they're focused on, I mean, it's revenue stacking. So it's like AdSense has always been the primary, but I'm actually moving a little bit away from that. And I'm getting other sources that are making just as much, if not more now. Mm -hmm. Um, it took a lot of time to get there, but like, yeah, it's, it's AdSense. I do have affiliate in there though. Uh, anytime mm -hmm. that I can throw it, cause I believe in revenue stacking. So, um, I'll throw it in whenever I can. So whatever it is that comes up in those income reports, there's a bunch of different income sources. Uh, what stage did I give up my full-time job? I actually have a post that I wrote the day that I quit my job oh, and nice. I did it almost like a diary because I was like, I want to remember this. And it is awesome to look yeah, back yeah. at that oh, because cool. it's like, we'll it's like me. Yeah, yeah. It's like me talking about how like, I'm so scared. I'm scared. Shit. Like, Oh my God. Like it was like, you know, super dramatic. But, uh, it, you know, at the time, I mean, that's a real, you know, you're really going against the grain of everything. So for me, I believe, um, it was, I talked about in my last interview how the website had gone viral. Um, I believe it was, I think it was a month or two months after it had gone viral and I had built a few links and I started to see an upward trajectory. Um, I think that's about what it was. So it was like, yeah, I had, I was making like, I think it was like three to 500 bucks a month for my one website. 
And I was like, dude, I just need to jump. Like I just really need to do it. And I had a savings account and I'll, you know, I had money saved up and everything, but yeah, that's, that's when I did it. Cool. <laughs> All right, moving on. We have Kareem Mohammed asked a question. Actually, I may tackle this one because it's more like my sweet spot. But um, so Kareem says, I'm in a niche where all the products are similar to each other. And when I write a review, I feel like I'm writing the same article for different products. What could I do about that? How can I differentiate between similar products? And I would say you probably should check out your competitors and see if you could come up with anything. Um I'm not sure what else to tell you. I mean, if things literally are similar, let's use beer, for example, like there's a, you know, endless number of IPAs out there, right? Ron, you a beer drinker? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. Cool. So like, you know, there's so many out there, but you can really hone in on the minute details that are different. And if, mm-hmm. if you care to get that detailed into it, then you just have to write more details about it. Now, um, I'm not sure what to tell you. I mean, I don't know what the product is, but I mean, let's say it's brooms. Well, yeah, there's, there's only so many things <laughs> that, you, I mean, they got your bristles on there. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't even know uh, you got a handle. I'm not even sure what things you can get into, but, um, I mean, look at cars, for example, like, there's a lot of cars that kind of, they're super similar, but people find a way to differentiate them. So yeah, I, I don't know what to tell Kareem here. Just work a little harder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I'll, I'll give my, and this definitely is my sweet spot. Like I would Doug's advice for sure over mine. Uh, but when I'm looking at this, I'm thinking you're never going to have, I mean, no matter what the product is, they're all going to be similar. They're always, always, always going to be similar. There's just going to be a few small, small, small differentiators between them. Um, usually that uh, would be like a situation where you'd write like, okay, the three things that we are reviewing this on are how comfortable it is, how expensive it is, and, and whatever the third thing is, and then give your rating, and then explain why you're giving that rating. Like, um, yeah, differentiating between similar products. I mean, I think we really need to understand what the product is. I'm sure he doesn't want to, you know, give up what that is, obviously, mm-hmm. in the comments. But, like, that's a big problem with that. You don't know the, what the product is, but they're all going to be similar in every single niche. It's always just, you know, maybe this one's better for these individuals because of this mm-hmm. thing that it has, you know, yeah. like it's hard to differentiate always. So, and well, let's just, I'll give one more quick example and then we'll move on. Um, keyword research tools, right? So let's use examples we can talk about. So we threw yeah. out like different tools earlier. There's a bunch of them and they basically do the same thing. I mean, they're drawing data from the same sources and then they're interpreting it through their own algorithm. They're trying to pepper on additional features, additional data and useful things, whether they're useful or not is up for debate, but there are like pieces and they call it different things. It's keyword difficulty, keyword competitiveness. Um, There's another keyword difficulty. There's some other metrics, but basically it's all the same data it's it's just reshuffled. Yeah. And yeah. if you go out and you try and find reviews on those products or you look at the materials from the companies, they will uh, pitch it or try to pitch it in a unique way. So yep. who knows? Yeah, it's, right. it's, it's hard to find true like something that's completely just blows everyone else out of the water. That doesn't happen that often. They're usually going to be similar. So yeah. it's just a reality. Cool. Next question is from Josh Brown, and this is about improving um, content 
that's uh, older and just needs to be updated. So I've actually been doing an experiment, which I'll be sharing the results uh, pretty soon on the blog, probably a video and all this stuff. But in, in my case, I updated about, um, I think it was about 10 articles um, with a service uh, specifically. So they do it for you. And then just overall from month over month, and I've had one month to let it soak, uh, my traffic on those pages went up by uh, like 12 and a half percent. And then year over year, it's like 25%. So I was looking at basically April 2019 to April 2018, and it was up 25% on these 10 posts, which is yeah, obviously that's significant. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, if you yeah. can imagine it across a lot of posts. Um, so it was fantastic for me. And it was around just re-optimizing around certain keywords using real data from the search console. Um uh, Market Muse was actually a, a big tool that they used, and I'll share all the details, but um, paragraphs were added, headers were updated, and that sort of thing. So, Ron, what did you do with your update of content? So, mine was um, a similar experience. Um, I actually don't know what the increase was on those specific pages, but in my situation, um, I, I can tell you that it was big increases. <laughs> like that's all I can tell you. It was bigly. Uh, but yeah, no, like it was, it was big increases. I, I would say, I mean, looking at my overall traffic trends on my website, my website, since I did it went up about 15 to 16%, my whole website. Um, and I only did, I did what you did. You know, I, I chose a specific few, but I think the key to that first is, um, you know, get the URLs and look at the ones for me. It was like these particular, um, top visited pages, from this current three months versus the last three months, those are losing traffic, right? And they've lost position. Maybe they were ranked number one, maybe they're now down to three. So I focused on the ones that were really going to make them an impact. You know, I didn't just randomly choose them. Um, and I know, Doug, you did the same thing. So knowing that uh, after I did it, I did something similar um, to what you're saying. I mean, I just went in, I looked at Google Search Console, I found other things very closely related to what I was writing that I may have not even mentioned um, previously. And I plugged those into the actual content to have those there. I added the header, I added a few paragraphs. Um, I had just adjusted it, you know, looked if there's anything that's like, okay, that was kind of probably shouldn't have been there in the first place. You know, like, <laughs> like I, I trimmed the fat. Um, I just added it and made it more beefy. I then, I always looked at, um, like if I was getting outranked, I looked at the one, two, three top rankings and I saw what is it that they have that I don't have? Why are they getting ranked ahead of me? And then I just made sure that I added something that was, um, similar to that, but better. You know, I always try to outdo them. So I did that. Um, and then what I also did, which I don't even know if this is the right way, but I'll tell you what I did is I went in when I was in WordPress, I changed the publish date. Um, and the, the thing is here, you have to do significant revisions on your content. You can't just go in and do this. But what I did is I did the significant revisions, you know, which was a lot of different things and really make the article better. And then I changed the publish date to that day. And then I pressed okay. And I republished it for that day. That's big because Google sees that as they like um, more updated content. They always do. I mean, that's just proven in their algorithm right now anyway, that that's one of the ranking factors. Um, so recency is a big thing. So when I did that, uh, I then took it and resubmitted it to Google Search Console. And then I saw really quick, like usually within 24 hours, I climbed right back up the SERPs, was on the number one spot. But the key to that is, like I said, 
you can't, if anybody is thinking, well, I'm just going to change the, the article or the dates that I publish these and republish them and, and resubmit in Google. That doesn't work. Um, I know that that doesn't work. So don't try that. You really have to make the revisions. So, yep. And I've, I've tried that too, you know, cause every now and then, like we were talking about, uh, like reading, reading what people do and yep. then you're like, Oh, yep. I could just refresh the date. Yep. Well, if you just refresh the date, it's not going to work. You gotta, I know. Yeah. I know it doesn't do work it. cause I tried it too. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, like, yeah, we're all for hard work, but we're also like, all right, if I can get away with this, yeah. do like just a little easier. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and like I mentioned, uh, Josh, I will be sharing my whole case study and like how I went about this, but, um, yeah, I think it's a no brainer if you have a site and you're, you're getting some traffic, like this is a classic way. It's classic old school SEO go back and look at the data from the search console and then use the data that you have. Yeah. And, and anybody that I will say, anybody that's listening to this and is like, oh, I didn't, I fought you guys. I fought this for, I think three or four months. I fought this month after month. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. I finally, finally caved and did it. And I wish I did it earlier. The results been have been huge. really, really good. They've been really good. Same here. Same here. All right. We're wrapping it up. So we're getting close to the end. We have Siegfried, says this a couple questions that I think we kind of we kind of already answered so what affiliate programs so you're basically using AdSense and media.net and you will explore anything else that is relevant for your audience yeah yeah okay and then how many articles are on the top earning site that's about 1800 and that is about a thousand words per article on average yeah roughly some some of them that need longer mm-hmm. absolutely be have them be longer, but if it's like a question type of post, 750 to a thousand ish, um, definitely more closer to the thousand for the most part, like 750. I'm like, eh, but if it, you know, but yeah, whatever is needed, but usually for me in those posts, yeah, right around there. What's the minimum local monthly search volume that you would consider before writing an article? Now you didn't answer this before, but I'm going to guess the answer is zero. If it's a relevant article for your audience. Yeah. It depends. So when you're, when you're first starting out, you know, when I was first starting out my big website, I was or my most successful website, I should say. Um, I absolutely would go after the things that were low competition and had some decent search uh, keyword volume. Like I would get like 50 to 100 somewhere in there, you know, trying really hard. But what I found over time was that eventually it gets to the point to where, hey, guess what? You've written all of those. Now what? And basically, yeah, I'll use like keyword shitter as a tool. If I find a question it may say zero, it may show up as NA, but I know that my audience needs it. So I'll just create it. And sometimes those do really well. Like those keyword tools out there, they're helpful and they give you some guidelines, but like, yeah, I, I would not shy away from, if you know that your audience needs it and there's a question, like I wouldn't only focus on that. I would definitely look at the other stuff and go there first. But if you get to the point to where you're kind of saturating stuff, definitely still write that other stuff. It absolutely helps hundred percent. So yeah, I go all the way down to zero to answer yeah. the question. So nice. All right. Last question from Amar not ready. And do you want to try to, you want to try to pronounce the <laughs> name? We apologize. We don't um, know. Mar- how to- yeah, no, I'm, it's, it's a tough one. Uh, Arman ready. Avuduri maybe. Nice. Same, yeah. Something like that. 
anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, very go good. Very good. Um, okay. So this question is a little, little loose. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if it's, it's a lot of statements, not much of a question. So I have sound knowledge on mobiles and laptops, but competition is very high. So is it worth it to create a niche site based on mobile devices and laptops? I want to create a mobile buying guide. So how would you re- respond to someone who's like, I have some interest. I want to do a thing, but I'm not sure. My take on it, and you can give yours after. My take on this, um, technology is brutally competitive. Technology is um, also, like affiliate-wise, I believe one of the lower uh, revenue you know, type of situations that you're going to get into um, in terms of actually making money with it. But that's where your expertise is. So I would say maybe look at this. My take on it, I would say maybe look at this. You said that you're interested in mobiles and laptops. Maybe niche down into mobiles and laptops. Maybe focus on a specific uh, brand or something like that to do it. Personally, if you can find another topic that is less competitive and has less huge, huge players in it, I would point you that way. 100%. But if you're absolutely stuck on mobiles and laptops and like technology in general, you could do it, but you're definitely going to have to niche down and you're going to niche down and you're going to get to a point, even when you niche down, that you're probably going to have a website that can't, it's going to have a ceiling. It's not going to be a huge website ever, but maybe you can dominate that particular area or niche of mobiles and laptops um, that, you know, that, that segmented down niche. But yeah, I would... I personally would kind of stay away from that. I, like we said, David and Goliath, that's your, you've got a lot of Goliaths there. Um, I would personally stay away from it. Doug, what's your take? Yeah, generally. So I, I think there's a couple, a couple issues and some subtext in this question. So if, if, uh, I'll refer to him as ready. Cause that's the, the shortest yeah. name that I know how to pronounce there. So ready, um, if you are super passionate about the topic, then you can do it. Like basically anything's possible. Like the barrier to entry is low and it means that you can do it. You can compete with those Goliaths if you want to, but you also have to have the longevity, the stamina to stick with it for long enough. If like I mentioned earlier, if this is your first attempt, I would suggest that you find something less competitive. Um, Ron brought up a good point, just the monetization, um, like percentages as far as commissions, generally those are lower. Um, additionally, especially for laptops, it's a higher price point with a longer time frame of like a, a buying process, the buying yep. cycle. Um, so it's going to have a lower conversion rate, basically a more expensive item with that people don't buy that often. It's going to be a lower conversion rate and, um, it takes them a while to figure it out. So you have all that in play. Now, the other thing with tech, which I generally stay away from in health as well. Um, but tech has new items all the time. And if you're into it, that's great. You want to get all these new devices. You want to like write about it. You're into it. Cool. That's fantastic. It's great for you. You're always going to have new content. There's always more opportunities, right? Even though there's a ton of players, if you happen to be on the cutting edge, that's great. However, if you want to, you know, be lazy like Ron and I, then that means you need to find a niche where you don't have to update new products all the time, right? Like that is key. That is a key thing for me. I don't want to be 
strapped thousand percent agree with you i like passive i like evergreen passive content i create it once maybe i gotta revise it once or twice but yeah that's that's a good point with technology you're always changing things and like software i i know that's i had some of that stuff it's that's the pain you're always revising so right right and and i mean i think we'll have to Save it for another conversation, but I was going to say like, oh, a software product, right? My background is in software. Like mm-hmm. I, I, well, I haven't coded in years, but I can, I understand things, right? And then I was a software project manager. Like it totally makes sense for me to come up with a software product to sell it and blah, blah, blah. But then it is potentially, doesn't have to be, but generally software is going to be like way more hands-on. You have yep. customer support, you have constant updates, you have bugs. Let's say I want to do a WordPress plugin, right? Would be a perfect match for like the kind of content that I have. But WordPress comes out with new stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. There's conflicts. There's all this stuff. And generally, I want something where it's mostly evergreen. It's mostly going to be okay. Yep. Hence, you know, if you got these new products coming out all the time, it's just a constant battle of updating it. Um, and that's not what I'm into. So Yeah, and I, I think it goes back to the whole thing with tech too. If you're in tech, like that's a perfect example, a WordPress plugin. Let's say you write a review in that WordPress plugin. And then guess what? In two weeks, they come up with a huge update, totally changing the interface, totally change. Guess what? Now you have to go back to your article. You have to revise all the screenshots. You got to do re-recordings of everything. You know, talk about the new features. That's frustrating. That's not what I, I, I'm lazy. Like you said, I don't think that's a bad word. I mean, I'd rather work smart than hard and I like evergreen. That's, you know, so... <laughs> Right, right. That's funny. You reminded me I have a post like that on Niche Site Project that I need to go update because the plugin is updated now. So, yeah. Great. Oh, I have More a bunch work. of those, but I'm, I've just been focused on my other websites. I've been too lazy to do it, but that's that's the thing. That's a problem with that. You know? Yeah, so. right on. All right, Ron, any parting words, um, any words of inspiration for someone who may, maybe they're thinking about starting their first site and they're not quite sure? Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> Stop wasting time. Thinking. Like you should make an educated decision. You you should listen to podcasts. You should Doug's podcast is great. I actually personally listen to that. Not even, not even, you know, get just giving him, I'm, I'm saying it because he told me about it. I was like, Oh, I'll probably listen to this. I like, I like it when I still listen to stuff with people who are only making, you know, and I say only cause I've been here for a while, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month. There's always stuff to learn. Right. There really is. Even for me, even for Doug, anybody like Pat Flynn, too. He's like top, top, top. He's still learning plenty. There's always something to learn. So like always be willing to learn. But like the biggest thing is just, you know, learn to a point um, that like maybe you you set a goal and say within 30 days, I'm going to listen to all these podcasts. I'm going to read all these blogs, whatever. But at that the end of that 30 days, I'm going to start because you will never learn anything um, more than when you fail. Like when you fail, don't consider it a failure. Fail and then realize you failed. Think about what it is that you did wrong. Understand that. Don't make that mistake again and try again. I did that. Doug, I'm sure you've done that. I've done that probably 15, 20 times before I actually hit anything that was decent. So that's a big thing to understand. You just need to start. And when you fail, not if you fail, but when you fail, understand why and then keep trying to move forward with it. 100%. And I'll add one little uh, amendment there and just say, try not to switch things too often because you'll make new different mistakes in the different business model. So it doesn't mean you can't pivot and do something different, but if you're trying to 
create a informational site that makes money with AdSense and it doesn't quite work out. And then you move over to drop shipping and that doesn't work out. And then you move over to Kindle publishing and you make a different mistake mm-hmm. there. You're just going to feel like a failure and yeah. you'll, yep. it's not going to, so you got to kind of stick with something for a little while so that you can take advantage of your failures and your learning. So you could actually show that you've learned those things. So. Yeah. And when, and when I say failure and switch, what I'm meaning is mm-hmm. even like when I say switch, I'm referring to even the same project that you've been working on, right? Like you write a piece of content, you think it's going to kill it. It does nothing. Okay. Well, why didn't it do any, why didn't it go well? You know, what is it that you could do to improve that for the next time? Still stay within that project. You know, I, I don't think, I don't think you should really ever start any project unless you're willing at this point, I say about a year, if you're not willing to put in a full year of work into that one project and not quit on it, I don't think you should start it because a lot of stuff takes at least six months to get anything going. So like, that's, that's my take on it. You know, like you really have to be vested and be willing to to have a lot of failure and eventually something's going to work. You just have to stick to it. But yeah, if you fail one part in it, kind of switch up your strategy, understand what you did wrong and then keep going on that same project. Just change it up a little bit. So awesome. It's been a pleasure, Ron. Thanks so much for all your knowledge here and Yeah, everyone check out One Hour Professor, and I'm pretty sure I'll be able to convince Ron to uh, do some more episodes. So send in questions, leave more questions for Ron, and we'll keep shooting the shit here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Doug. I appreciate it. It was great uh, being here. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Ron. I really appreciate his time. I think you basically got to see or here rather, the behind the scenes of like what Ron and I talk about a lot of the time. So he and I have, uh, you know, like I said, sort of like mastermind meetings. We, it's, it's a little bit more loosely structured and we just kind of talk shop and we do talk about our goals and what we're going to try to accomplish. So there's some accountability there, but he and I are both pretty driven on our own, uh, obsessive, I might say. And I believe that, um, I mean, This was just a little bit more structured because we had some questions that we were talking about, but as you could hear, we just kind of go back and forth, and that's really how our bi-weekly conversations go. We just kind of talk shop, we consume different like sources of information, and we also, you know, operate a little bit differently. So it's just it's it's fun to talk uh, shop, and I think you probably heard it um, with both Ron and I. And if you want to hear more from us. Uh, let me know in, in the uh, email or you could leave a voicemail. I'll leave those numbers in the show notes and description so you can get to it if you want to. I can tell you that we enjoy it. So there's a good chance, even if you don't like it, um, we do. So we're probably going to do more. But if you let us know, then I, I will know and Brian will know that we should put a little more time into it and put um, a few more of these episodes out. And if you want to hear specific topics, we can go deep into those. Now, like I know link building is huge. Like Ron is an avid link builder. He actually really enjoys it. And he has some like pretty sick uh, systems and templates and concepts that he uses and he's executed on multiple sites and they work really well. So we could talk about that kind of stuff also. I want to let you know about a few episodes that I have coming up. So you, you may have noticed that I interviewed a few people, mainly success stories 
throughout uh, the podcast, right? So we're, we're at about 40 episodes here. Again, this is a little bit behind the scenes, but I was kind of waiting until I got a few episodes out. That way I can get the mechanics of podcasting out of the way and not necessarily mastered by any means, but at least get a little bit better at, you know, doing a podcast and interviewing people. So to that end, I have a couple awesome interviews coming up. Really excited. I'm not 100% sure what order they're going to come out. So number one, I have Clayton Johnson of The Hoth. The Hoth is an SEO agency and services business that has really exploded in growth since I've like started in the business back in 2013. So they're roughly like 17x the size of what they were um, as far as revenue and traffic and, and all that sort of stuff. So they're doing great work over there at the Hoth. And Clayton is the CMO and that's the chief marketing officer at the Hoth. He is one of the founders. And I, if I, if I understood it correctly, I think they started with like three or four people um, in an apartment and they were working from home and stuff like that. And they were inspired by the four hour work week and it grew and did well and it grew more. And Clayton has an awesome story. And we go deep into like growing the company, some technical SEO details uh, that I know people are into and a whole lot more. I think we talk about beards at some point, right? So I don't know how we got off on that tangent, but it was a great interview and that'll be coming out soon. One of the other interviews is with Chris Pearson of DIY Themes. You may have heard me talk about DIY Themes and Thesis uh, in some recent episodes. And I've been using Thesis on my blog, Niche Site Project, since the very beginning, all right? So it was, I guess, referred to me by Smart Passive Income, you know, not personally, but um, Pat Flynn of Smart Passive Income used Thesis at one point in time. And I was like, hey, I'll check it out. I got a developer's version back in the day and I've been using it ever since. And the cool thing is, Chris, I didn't even realize, that, realize this until I started talking with Chris and deep into the interview. I didn't know how influential and what a big deal Chris was uh, with the, you know, growth of WordPress, the growth of premium themes, and kind of the way he innovates. So it was a pretty cool conversation, and it went well, and I'm pretty sure Chris and I are going to be talking more. And again, that'll be coming out pretty soon. And the one other interview that I could tell you about, I have not yet recorded it yet, but I'll be talking with uh, one of the founders, maybe the main founder of Genius Link. His name is Jesse Lakes, and he and I have the Montana connection, so I haven't talked to Jesse yet. We've just exchanged some emails over the last couple weeks here, so I know I'm not sure if he's from Montana or if he just went to school there, but anyway, we have that small connection plus affiliate marketing as well, which is a big deal, but if you're unfamiliar with Genius Link, it is a link management software, and it helps you share links and localized links, that means like if you want to have an Amazon affiliate uh, account for the UK or Japan or Spain or Brazil or whatever, it will localize the links for you so you can enroll in those other programs um, internationally. Uh, basically, it'll help you track links and provide links, get more revenue from you know the links that you're sharing. So it's a pretty sophisticated piece of software. And 
Like I said, Jesse and I will be talking soon. And I have a few other interviews that are sort of like in the works. But like I said, I, I kind of wanted to get a, quite a few podcast episodes out there. I continue to publish stuff on YouTube, as many of you know. And at this point, you know, I feel confident that I can send an email over to someone, ask them to be on the show, and they will probably agree unless they are just too big. But sometimes, you know, I catch someone in a weak moment and they'll talk to me anyway, um, even if they shouldn't be. It's funny, I was telling my wife that uh, I was talking to, I won't mention who it was specifically, but it was like, hey, yeah, talk to this person. And she said, well, they sound pretty successful. Now, why were they talking to you? <laughs> Which is great. You know, she uh, keeps me uh, grounded and humble, we'll say. But uh, anyway, I got those episodes coming up. And again, if you're new to the show, really do appreciate you checking it out. And uh, if you want to, you can leave a review. But really, I'd prefer it if you told a friend or someone you know who may be interested in the topic or whatever. So, you know, reviews are cool and all that, but I really just want to spread the word. So if you can do it, that'll be awesome. Really do appreciate it. And we'll catch you next time on The Doug Show.